Let's turn to Habakkuk chapter number one tonight. That's probably where a lot of the pages in your Bible might be stuck together, but that's near the back of the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter number one. I was trying to decide where I'd preach tonight, and typically when pastors preach out at someone else's church, they kind of look back at what series they've been preaching in. So I thought, you know, we just finished up the book of James on Sunday nights. And then I realized that you just finished up the book of James on Sunday mornings. And we are almost into chapter six of the book of Acts on Sunday nights. Then I realized Pastor Tyler just started the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. So we're in Habakkuk tonight. (laughs) And uh, I I really trust the Lord will use this uh, for us tonight. Let me read just maybe the first five verses together. And we'll get into the word tonight. Habakkuk chapter number one, verse number one. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. And these are his words. O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity? And cause me to behold grievance. For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Verse number five is the first verse of God's reply to Habakkuk's prayer. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. I think that the hardest day of any Christian's life is the day that they come face to face with the reality that God many times, doesn't make sense. Now, in a sense, we should be thankful for that, right? A God you can wrap your mind around isn't really much of a God. But at the same time, to be fair, it's kind of hard to follow a God who doesn't make sense. And what we're going to discover even in Habakkuk's thinking Sometimes his actions seem contradictory to his own word. Like the times you pour out your heart and soul to God in prayer, but nothing happens. In fact, you feel like your prayers don't go any farther than the rafters above your head. Or when it dawns on you that some of the most terrible, immoral people on this planet are also the people who seem to get away with everything. We can name a lot of scenarios that make us wonder and question and think that God doesn't make sense. But I think that one of the most challenging types of scenarios like that is when God's actions don't even match up with his own words. At least they don't seem to. I'm talking about the times that you hear a verse quoted and you think... That doesn't really seem to match my reality. 
talking about the times you read the Bible and you want to look up to heaven and say, where's this God at? The God who blessed Abraham, where's he at? The God who is in the midst of this person's life, where's he at right now? Sometimes, wouldn't you agree, church family, you and I run into stuff in life or even in God's word that just doesn't make sense. And that's what we're going to talk about in Habakkuk chapter number one. I've titled the message tonight, when God seems unfaithful. Now I want to warn you, the message tonight, nor any message, nor any Bible passage will give you all of the answers to the scenarios when God doesn't make sense. Because he is God. And frankly, God is under no obligation to explain himself to you. You are under an obligation to trust him. But I hope that we're going to get enough of a glimpse into God's character, his purposes, and his love. So that we might have just enough truth to give us faith in the meantime. The book of Habakkuk, as we read, opens up with a peek into the private prayer life of Habakkuk. Which is kind of unusual because in the minor prophets, those smaller books of the Bible, in the back of your Old Testament... Most of those books focus on sermons of the minor prophets. But Habakkuk's a little bit different um, in, in a similar way like Jonah is, because Jonah more focuses on a story. But Habakkuk is more of like a private correspondence between Habakkuk and God. And as we get a peek into Habakkuk's prayer life, we see that though he was a prophet of God that we could assume was used by God, we find that in his prayer closet, he's a little bit frustrated and confused. Though he may be a prophet, there are times in which even a prophet of God wrestles with the same truths about God that you may be wrestling with tonight. And even better than that, we see that God patiently and clearly answers his questions. In verses 1 through 4, I want you to see that Habakkuk is lamenting what he sees to be God's unfaithfulness to punish the nation of Israel. I want you to look in verses 2 through 4. I want to read it to you, and I want you to see it again. But I want you to realize that Habakkuk is not talking about someone outside of the church. He's talking about the very people of God who should have known better. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Verse number three, he says, God, why do you show me iniquity? Why do you allow me to behold grievance? Friend, he's not talking about the immoral culture that you and I sometimes get frustrated with. No, he's talking about the people of God who had the word of God, who had a prophet of God, and yet he looked all around them and he didn't see people who looked like God. He saw people who made him look at iniquity and grievance. He knew, he knew enough of God's word to know that what he saw in the lifestyle of God's people was not things that should have been there. He was in a decadent and sinful society. If we dig into some of the phrases of verses number three and four, we, we see that Habakkuk is describing a growing crime rate. 
He's describing physical violence. He's describing rampant strife and contention that were growing like wildfire. And then look at verse number four. You might have passed by this phrase, but he says that the law is slacked. Now the word slacked is an older English word that literally means to grow cold or to become paralyzed. Here's what Habakkuk is saying. He's saying, God, we as your people are supposed to use the law of God to apply this to our scenario, but God's law is so far from your people's dealings that it's as if it's paralyzed. It's as if people have forgotten about it. No wonder at the end of verse number four, wrong judgment proceedeth. But we get the sense in the book of Habakkuk that Habakkuk isn't just frustrated about the conduct of God's people. After all, he's crying out to and frustrated with God. Look at verse number two. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? And crying to thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? He's pointing the finger at God and saying, God, where are you in my situation? Because here's the truth. Habakkuk isn't just frustrated with the sinful conduct of God's people. He's frustrated because God isn't punishing the conduct of his people. He's looking at society saying, God, you said... In your covenant with these people that you would bless them if they would obey you. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, you can read this at length in verses 14 through 68. And the first half of that is God saying all these wonderful things that would happen to Israel if they would just simply obey his word. By the way, if you obey God's word, it ends up working out pretty well for you most of the time. I'm not saying it always works out well for you. I'm not saying the Christian life is easy. But in general, it's a pretty good idea to obey God's word. But then there's the other half. You know, the other half that prosperity gospel preachers just kind of, you know, skip past and go to the next chapter in the Bible. Because while God promised to bless his people, in verses 21 through the end of Deuteronomy 28, he got very specific about how he would punish his people. Verse 21 in Deuteronomy 28 says that he would bring disease to their crops. He said he'd bring sickness to the people. He would withhold rain. They would lose battles to their enemies. Verses 30 through 32 shows that their wives and their children would be lost. And then, incidentally, God alludes to what is happening in this very passage here, that a foreign nation would oppress them. But Habakkuk looked around and he saw a society of people that said they lived under the covenant of God who said that the Bible was their guide, but yet had totally forsaken God in his word and God had done nothing. Oh yes, God had been careful to bless his people when they obeyed, but yet now when they were in a situation when all of the people were disobeying, God had seemingly done nothing. No disease, no sickness. You get the idea of the type of preacher, Baptist preacher Habakkuk was. He was wanting God to throw down some lightning. It seemed like that God was unfaithful to his word. It seemed like God had made a promise that he hadn't kept. We could be more explicit. It seemed like God had failed. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where it seemed like God had been unfaithful 
to what you thought his word taught. Don't you think that if an Old Testament prophet finds himself in a situation where he looks at the word of God and looks at his life and looks at the word of God and looks at his life and says, something doesn't match up here. Don't you think that we could fall into that situation? You hear Romans 8, 28 quoted. God will work all things together for your good. And you may even know what the good is in that passage. That it's your sanctification. Yet you look at what's on your plate right now. And you would never use the word good to describe it. You know what the Bible says. That God will never leave us nor forsake us. That doesn't seem to describe the reality of your empty apartment. Your king size bed that's only half full. Like Habakkuk, you know that God said he would judge sin. But you look around in our society and you see that sin only has become more popular and more glorified in our society and yea, even in churches in America than ever before. You know God has promised to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But you also got a bill in the mail. And you know what your bank account's sitting at. And you know the realities of your financial situation. And, and, and frankly, can we just be honest with each other tonight? It doesn't always feel like God is providing in those situations. It doesn't always feel like that God is present in those situations. Can I just encourage you with this tonight? That it is natural and even good to express that type of confusion to God. Oh, we'll get to the good stuff. But I want you to notice that in Habakkuk verses 1 through 4, they're not just Habakkuk just complaining on Facebook. No, Habakkuk is talking to God in prayer. There's a very intentional use of that word lament on the slide because that is a, a important type of prayer that we see all throughout the Old Testament that, that God seemed in his wisdom to allow his people to come to him with very raw and even unprocessed emotions. Sometimes I think we, we mistakenly assume that our time of prayer with God must be polished. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When sometimes, when we come into prayer with God, we don't want to hallow his name. We, we come to him thinking that we must already be in a place where we're ready to repent of our sin. And yet, to be honest, we're not quite ready to let it go. And so that's why some of you, for many weeks, have not prayed because you're dealing with sin. And you're not really to the place where you're ready to repent. So you just decide to give up on praying altogether. But what we see in this passage is Habakkuk is a good example to us. That he's showing us that it's okay, Christian, to pour your heart out to God in prayer as you wrestle with what he's trying to do. That's a far more healthy approach than just ignoring prayer. I love what Kyle Strobel said. He said, prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. 
Could it be that the prevalence of the sins of gossip and complaining that so characterize some of the most blessed people in all of history, the Christian Americans, is because we haven't learned what it's like to bring our lament and our complaints to the one who can actually do something about it. We haven't learned the art of lament. Now, I'm not saying that we just go to God and complain. We, we do. But listen, we bring to God our confusion, our anger even at times. But, but pay real close attention or you'll miss the point. We must allow him to speak back. If you bring your unprocessed emotions to God, friend, just let him speak back. In Habakkuk chapter number one, we actually have a record of what God might say to you in your lament. What God might say to you in your moments of frustration when you look at God's word and you look at your life and they don't seem to match up and you're wondering where is God in this situation? Because in verses one through four, we have Habakkuk's lament because God was unfaithful to his word. But praise God, we also have verses five through 11 that show us that though there are times when God seems unfaithful, his faithfulness shows up in the most unexpected ways. I love how God leads off his answer to Habakkuk. He says in verse number five, behold ye among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe though it be told you. Habakkuk thought God wasn't working at all. He thought God was absent, but all the while God said, I am working and I will work a work in your days. The only problem is that you don't, you're not gonna believe the work I'm doing. Maybe that's the same thing that's true in your life is you think God is not working in your life and God is working. You just have not learned to see how he's working. I love what God says to Habakkuk. He says, I'm going to, I don't think you're going to believe me when I tell you, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. That's how I feel tonight. And God begins to tell Habakkuk what he's going to do in verses six through 11. But you're not going to appreciate the passage until you recognize how utterly confusing verses 6 through 11 are. Because God is going to show Habakkuk that he's going to be very faithful to his word. He's going to be faithful in a way that Habakkuk would have never really anticipated. And in a way that wasn't going to give Habakkuk warm fuzzies all over. See, I think Habakkuk said, you know, God, maybe you can punish the sins of your people with some crop failure, you know, throw in a little virus here or there. I'm just, yeah, I'm just throwing that. But God is going to show in verses six through 11 that he's going all the way to the end of Deuteronomy 28. Because God's not going to do the crop thing, the sickness thing. He's going to go to the foreign nation oppressing you thing. And God begins to describe in verses 6 through 11 how he would, he himself, God, 
the Holy One of Israel, would empower the nation of Babylon to take Israel captive. In our text, it's gonna, they're going to be referred to as the Chaldeans, but you might know them as the Babylonians. And let's look at verse number six. He says, for lo, notice the next phrase, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not there. God is going to empower a nation that was known to be cruel and known to be violent on a global scale. And he was going to use a very violent, very cruel nation to punish a much less violent and much less immoral nation. This doesn't sound like a very helpful answer right now. And God begins to describe the nation of Babylon in some very, very specific terms in verses 7 through 11. I mean, as if it wasn't bad enough, he recognizes that this would have been kind of a problem in Habakkuk's mind. And he begins to describe just how bad of a people they were. Look at verse 7. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. What it's saying there is that they made their own laws and they were not governed by the law of God. You know, the law that was slacked and judgment never went forth. Well, he says, let me show you about this nation that uh, they're going to punish you. And you kind of, you know, give, you know, little token attention to the word of God. But they just, they just kind of make up their own rules. That's the people that's going to punish you. Verse number eight, he says, he begins to describe how in verses eight through nine, how their military power was feared and was ready to strike. He compares them to horses and leopards and wolves. And he describes how um, swift and how fearful their attack would have been on the nation of Israel. Verse number 10, he shows us that the nation of Babylon was so powerful that they laughed in the face of kings and mocked the defenses of other nations. Look at verse 10. They shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride or make fun of every stronghold. They shall heap dust and take it. And then verse number 11 comes. And, and to an Old Testament saint, verse number 11 would have been maybe one of the more grievous offenses thinking about the nation of Babylon because though God would be the one to directly empower the nation of Babylon to take his people captive, they would not see that it was God who empowered them. At the end of all of that, they would attribute all of their success to their own power and their own strength. Because after all, at the end of the day, Babylonians just worship themselves. Look at verse 11. Then shall his mind change and he shall pass over and offend imputing this his power unto his God. I hope you get just a sense, a taste of how shocking and horrifying and completely unexpected this news would be to Habakkuk. And God knew that. God knew that and we should know that too because God's ways are often unexpected and very much out of the box. But here's what God is reminding Habakkuk through this passage. He's saying, Habakkuk, I will never fail my promises. I will never fail my promises, but my faithfulness to my word may not look like what you want it to look like. Because when God seems unfaithful, his faithfulness 
often shows up in unexpected ways. Now, if you read the Bible at all, you can't help but notice that our God's kind of always full of surprises. You, re- you can't read through the Bible and not know that God seems to take some interesting turns in the story of Scripture and, and maybe give praise to God the same way that Paul did in his letters, that his ways are unsearchable and his judgments are past finding out. But rest assured, my friend, that God only makes promises he intends to keep. His faithfulness to those promises may not look like the rosy picture you've painted in your mind, but he will always stay faithful to his word. Habakkuk should have known this, and we should too if we know our Bible's good enough. God's promise to Abraham was to build a nation out of him. Land, lots of kids, the whole nine yards. Now, I don't know how recently you've read through the book of Genesis, but you may have missed in all of the cool stories about Abraham that when Abraham died, he had one son and a little plot of land that had a cave. Does that sound like a great nation? No. But we know in time, God made of them a great nation. It just took like Egyptian captivity and, or slavery and all those other things before they got there. God in the Old Testament promised to give Israel a king that would reign on the throne forever. But we know as Christians that that promise ended up with a savior that died on the cross for our sins and rose again and someday will return and sit on that throne. Just a little different than God or God's people may have originally thought. So who are we to think that God's promises occasionally won't be fulfilled in ways that we didn't anticipate? Friend, God is at work in your life. You just may not know how to identify it. And even if God told you, you probably wouldn't believe him. But since I'm a preacher, I'm going to try and tell you for just a few more minutes what God might be doing. I want to give you a couple thoughts about God's faithfulness. And how it shows up in these unexpected ways. I found this that, and and this really shows up in some of the promises I just talked about, that God's faithfulness will often show up on a different timeline than we expect. Man, there are so many ways we want God to come through in this life, don't we? But I think what a lot of us are going to find as Christians, that many of God's promises will be fulfilled to us in the next life. Oh, we are so hungry for God to fix our problems now, but sometimes we know that God's faithfulness sometimes is him fixing our problems 10 years from now or 10 millennia from now when we reign with him forevermore. Along those lines, we may ask God to heal our bodies or maybe the body of a loved one so we can live longer on this earth, but God sometimes may choose to heal our bodies when he brings us to heaven. Friend, that's not settling for less, by the way, in God's faithfulness. I mean, if I had it my way, everybody would be healed on this side of heaven. 
But don't forget that the healings that Jesus did in his ministry and the healings that God chooses to do even in our day are simply for one purpose. It's to give us just a little bit of a trailer or a peek into what the kingdom of heaven looks like and what all of heaven will be like. Because the healing he did for this person and this blind man and this loved one you know that you prayed for, friend, that is just a peek of how all of heaven will be and everybody will be healed and we'll all be a new creation someday. We may want God to remove our pain, but God is faithful to give us grace to glorify him through our pain. Oh, how many prayers of mine have, could be boiled down to God remove my pain. How many times I've prayed for God's people, God remove their pain, remove their cancer, But yet God, in his wisdom, doesn't allow that treatment to work. But yet many of us have watched as those faithful saints have gone to heaven with such grace. Though their bodies were so physically impaired, they were supernaturally empowered. How many times I've prayed, God, remove the difficult person in my life. Yet God seems to often not remove them from my life, but give me grace to deal with them like Christ deals with me. See, God doesn't always rescue you from the job you hate because sometimes God has a bigger plan than that. And it's not giving you everything you want, but instead giving you everything you need. You may not always need a better boss, but you may always need a better attitude. You may not need a better paycheck, but you may need some more contentment. You may not need a different location, but God may want to give you a different perspective. Friend, that is not an inactive God. That is not a less than God. That is the God that we should behold in regard and wonder marvelously. For he is faithful to his promises. He's forming you in the image of Christ until you reach glory someday. I found God's faithfulness may be expressed in times where you may have dreams that you want God to fulfill through you, but God chooses to fulfill them through another. You may want God to build your ministry, your church, and praise God for that. He certainly is building Fellowship Baptist Church at 310 West Pancake. But God's kingdom is a lot bigger than this location. And God may sometimes choose to build and bless another. And it's in those times we find out whether or not we're truly praying for revival or praying for God to build our kingdom. You may have had a vision for your job or for your initiative, but God instead chose you to lay a foundation. I find it so funny that we're all about God doing something great. So long as he does it through us. Sometimes you may want God to fulfill his promises with a person, but God chooses instead to fulfill them through the person of Christ. Instead of giving you a new friend, he introduces you to the friend you have in Jesus Christ. Instead of giving you a spouse, God offers you joy in your your singleness. Friend, these are portraits of God's faithfulness to his word. Here's the reality. 
If your trust in God is conditioned upon him meeting your expectations, then it is not the God of the Bible that you worship, but a God of your own imagination. Because God is not obligated to fit the picture you draw for him. You are obligated to fit the picture he draws for you. So how do we respond to God's unexpected faithfulness? Look at verse 5. God tells us. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard. Consider it. And wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Tonight, if nothing else, may we sit, kneel, or even stand at the feet of a God whose wisdom surpasses our own, whose faithfulness is as true as the Bible says it is, but it may show up in ways that you don't quite see yet. Let's marvel at our God. Let God be a little bit bigger to you when you leave this building than when you came in. And maybe for many of you, you're in that in-between. You feel like Habakkuk. God, how long? How long? God, where are you? God, why don't you hear me? Can I encourage you? Bring your lament to God but stop long enough for him to remind you of the things he's already said in his word. To trust in his infinite wisdom. Every head bowed and every eye closed.